Amen. Well, we send them in faith. And this morning, I have the privilege of speaking into the next uh, bit of the Gifted series, which is going to be on teaching and encouragement. So I just want to point out that if you've got your booklet, um, your Gifted booklet, on page 10, there are... Uh, there is a space for you to take notes. If you like to take notes handwritten, I don't. I do it on my phone. No judgment, whichever direction you go. But that's on page 10. And then you'll also see that the f- next page, page 11, is the beginning or is, is for this upcoming midweeks meeting, which, as Rebecca said earlier, uh, we really encourage you to make sure because it's, it's kind of like a three-legged tripod. And you kind to get the benefit of the s- series, you really need all three, one being what we're doing right now on Sunday, the other being the midweek uh, discussions and gatherings in that sense and connection and relationship and activation. And then throughout the week is your devotional, which is, is here. So all three, and you'll uh, get the full benefit of what we're doing. Today, as I said, we're going to be looking at teaching and encouragement. You can look up Romans chapter 12 with me if you want. I'm just going to read a part of the key text that we have for the series. Romans 12 verse 6 says, Having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And I'm going to skip over to verse 7. The one who teaches in his teaching. And skip over to verse 8. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. So of the seven gifts, those are two that are mentioned which we'll be tackling right now. And the overview for this morning is this. We want to start off with identifying what is teaching and exhortation or encouragement, depending on your translation, what are they? The reason that we want to do that is to help you identify, I'm trusting that as we talk about these gifts each week, that those that you have been given, that you'll have a resonance inside of you, that you'll kind of just know and there will be something of an activation. But also just to kind of understand and have broadly skills developed, even if you don't have a grace gift, that you're still developing in these. So the first is to identify what it is. Secondly, we're going to look at uh, what are the roles of these gifts in the church and what are the benefits? What's the result, in other words, of of these gifts functioning? In other words, you doing these things, what's it going to do? And then thirdly and lastly will be how you can grow in both of these. You ready? Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. You are the one who designed the church. You are the one who spoke these seven grace gifts um, into the church. And we pray this morning, just as I said, that as we look at your word, there would be an activation and a stirring of these gifts. We pray for those who have a teaching gift in this room, those who have an encouragement gift in this room, that there would be a stirring. We pray for those of us who may not have that grace gift, that there would be a stirring and a skills building and a release of uh, a greater level of teaching and encouragement in your church for the building up of your body in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, firstly, let's, let's help identify these gifts, and looking firstly at teaching, and then we'll look at uh, encouragement. So a couple thoughts on the teaching gift. Those who are of this gift uh, enjoy obtaining knowledge and then sharing it with others pretty broadly. So if, if that's you, if you enjoy obtaining knowledge and then sharing it with others, 
uh, that's a strong indicator that you have a teaching gift. And, and when we talk about teaching gift, Romans 12 gifts, we're talking about essentially natural wiring. In other words, these gifts may have manifested in your life prior to you even knowing Jesus. I mean, uh, I have a teaching gift, and there was something of that happening in my life that was evident uh, before I even knew Jesus at the age of 18. So, um, yeah, you enjoy obtaining knowledge and, uh, and, and sharing it. I'm smiling because I'm thinking of this man right here, Rodney. It's like I basically just described Rodney Lloyd to you. He enjoys obtaining knowledge and then sharing it. Uh, one, those with a teaching gift are gifted to use words to bring clarity and understanding for others' good. And uh, so, sadly, we could use a teaching gift for our own benefit and our own exaltation and showing off or whatever. Uh, but the idea, as a, is the case with all seven of the gifts, is it's ultimately for others' good. But you are gifted to use words to bring clarity and understanding. So somebody with a teaching gift, some of their happiest moments would be when they are able to bring a light bulb moment to somebody else. An aha. When they can use words to cause another person to see something, of, especially in this case of the kingdom, that is going to help them. A teach, uh, those with a teaching gift, and I can't wait to clarify some of this because I already know some of y'all are thinking about what I'm doing right now with a microphone and sit standing in, fr in front of a group. That's not at all what is required for a teaching gift. Most teaching happens one-on-one -on -one in the body of Christ. Most of it does. Probably. And, uh, but uh, uh, the heart or the motivation of those with a teaching gift is to, the, to know truth ourselves but then to help other people also know truth and walk in it. So that would, that would, be, that would imply knowledge and application. To know truth and to help others walk in it themselves. Third uh, John 1.4, I think, would, would uh, represent that. In this epistle, the Apostle John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, and he's talking about his disciples, those who are, he's, he's, he's leading, he, that hear that my children walk, walk in truth. Again, two parts there. One is that the disciples see the truth, but from that, that they don't just know something, that they actually know how. They're actually applying it. Jesus is the ultimate teaching gift. And that is so important for us to understand during our gifted journey is to know that every single one of these gifts is ultimately an expression of the person of Jesus. And that whatever gift you have, it is ultimately meant to express him in the earth. And therefore, knowing him is the key to unlocking whatever gift he's given you. Because ultimately, it's him in you. And Jesus is the ultimate teacher. I'll just give you one of so many examples. Matthew 5, verse 2. Jesus, it says he saw the multitudes and he went up into the mountain. And it says in verse 2, then he opened his mouth, or that he sat down. And his disciples came to him, he sat down. And then it says in verse 2, then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Most of you would know that from there, he goes on to give what is popularly known as the Sermon on the Mount. 
starting with what is popularly known as the Beatitudes, the blessed are, and what he ultimately is doing right there, which has just been described as teaching. He sat down and taught them. He, what was he doing? He was bringing clarity to his disciples about a realm called the kingdom of God that they had never seen before, but he was using words to cause them to see and understand this, what you can call upside-down kingdom. It's actually the right-side-up kingdom, and our world is upside-down. But we don't tend to think that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We think blessed are the strong. You, you see what I'm saying? So he started to explain that and bring clarity to that. Not all, here's, and this is important, not all of those with the Romans 12 teaching gift are teachers in what we call a Ephesians 4 five-fold gift. So in Ephesians 4, Paul says that Jesus gave gifts to men. He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Teachers there, the role in, of that group, a teacher from that group, is to do what I'm doing right now, to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. A teacher, a teaching gift from Romans 12 is actually not teacher. The word is slightly different used in Romans 12 than in Ephesians 4. If this is going over your head, don't worry, we'll, we'll get past this. I'm just wanting to make the point that the gift is teaching in Romans 12, which would mean that I could be having a conversation with Raynell, and we could be, because he's a neighbor of mine, we could be talking in the street, and uh, maybe he has a teaching gift, and I'm asking a question about something about, about our neighborhood, and he's lived there for, for a long time, and he is able to explain to me using words this thing about our neighborhood in a way that I'm like, oh, I get it. That could be a teaching gift. Has nothing to do with a microphone. You following that? It, now, th we're, what we're going to see today is the critical nature of us coming together in relationship beyond this. Because the gifts, most of the Romans 12 gifts operate in community that for us primarily happens weekly when we meet in homes. And I, one of my prayers today and what I feel is on the heart of the Lord is to help us to understand we don't just do this Sunday morning and midweek thing so that we can tick the Christian box and we can do this stuff. And I'm hoping that the saints of God in this room will see the divine pattern and understand why do we gather together in midweek homes. It is so that those, the gifts can benefit one another. And do what the Bible says they're supposed to do since the church is built. We don't do it because, mm, am, I, am I tired tonight? I, I don't, what do I even get out of community group anyway? If that's, if that's the way you look at it, the, your approach is flawed. And I'm not trying to be critical. I, I just I, I have it in my heart that everybody would understand the divine significance of being together. Okay, so I hope that, uh, hope that makes sense. Yes, so let's look at encouragement. People with a gift of encouragement. These people tend to see glass half full. That tends to be the wiring of, those of, an, of an encouraging nature, and they tend to believe in the good in people. To them, their first go-to is not cynicism. With people Now, a person with encouragement can have bad experiences in this earth and wind up being cynical, just like the rest of us. But 
they tend to believe that God is a person for, per, for, for everybody around me, that God is good for, for the people, and that, that there's something good that God has ordained for their lives. And, and even if they're down, even if stuff has got messed up, there's still hope. There, there's always hope, you know. So that tends to be a, 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 the, the wiring of a person with encouragement. The idea here, and how many of you know the, the Bible, the New Testament, was not written in English, even if you read it in English. It was written in, the New Testament was written in Greek. So sometimes to understand what the Bible is saying, we have to go back to the original language. Uh, so can I be a Greek geek real quick with you? The idea of the word translated here as an encouragement, depending on what Bible translation you're using, or exhortation, the idea of the original Greek, which is parakaleo or parakaleo, uh, is this is an a, a, a expounded idea of that word, is to call to one side, to call for, to summon, to encourage, to strengthen, to exhort. Think of it this way, para kaleo, para, the Greek word, would mean with or alongside, and kaleo is where we get the English word call, to call, to like give a calling to somebody, to call to them. So it's to call alongside, it's to come alongside and to call them into purpose, into the mission, into the reason that we're here. How many of you think that we need that in the church? How many of you think that sometimes us sheep start to scatter? We start to lose our focus on what we're doing, and we just start to kind of exist and, and lose our way, and we get stuck in the thing, and, and we don't even realize it because— all the rest of the world are full of sheep who are also lost their way, and we just think it's normal. And we need people with the gift of encouragement to come alongside and rally people. And here's the three critical terms, the three critical things of, of, of biblical encouragement. Because I, what I want to speak is to those of you with a gift of encouragement, and even if you don't have a gift of encouragement, how can we biblically give encouragement to people? There are three elements. I'm telling you this is so important. We give courage based on three things. One, who God is. Raynell felt that. I could, I could see it. I was overwhelmed in that moment. Wh who God is. Number two, who we are in him. And then thirdly is what has God said? Those three things are perpetually able or, or to encourage anybody at any given time. Those three things are the rock, the bedrock of even the building of the church. Who God is, the revelation of who he is, what he said about us, who we are, and what he has spoken, what the, the truth that he has spoken. And I, I just want to say, when it comes to encouragement, this is a big deal. Jesus himself is encouragement. Check this out. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. You may say, why in the world did I just read that? That word consolation, the consolation of Israel, do you know who that's referring to? Jesus. 
Jesus is referred to as the consolation of Israel. And guess what? That word translated as consolation is the same word in Romans 12 translated as exhortation or encouragement. Jesus is the encouragement of God's people. Think about how was he the encouragement? Because he left heaven and he came alongside and he called people out. Come, come, follow me. Come, let me lead you into what you were created for. That's encouragement. It's that thing that speaks courage into the backbone of the people of God. How many of you think we need that? The gift of encouragement is speaking courage to people by affirming who they are, who God is, and what God has said. And we all need this to fulfill our calling. You're not weak if you need that. You, we all need this. In fact, do you know who, who else needed this to fulfill his calling? Jesus. With that in mind, can I remind us of what happened in that moment that the man Jesus, not just Jesus the Christ, Jesus the human, came to that baptism of the river, at the River Jordan where he was baptized by John and he was about to enter into his ministry. Can I ask you, do you think, this may be weird for some of you, but this is legit, do you think Jesus was trembling in his boots a little bit? He's about to go do, how many of you know what it's like to go do something that you've never done before? And it's not like a little thing that he's going to try out. Well, I've been doing carpentry. I think I'm going to try being the savior of the world now. It, this is a big thing that he was stepping into. And in that moment, he gets baptized. And Luke chapter 3, verse 22 says this. The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Jesus himself needed to hear that encouragement, that exhortation from the Father. You don't really forget, son, who I am and who you are and what I have spoken over your life. That's encouragement. So the roles and benefits of these gifts, let's, let's, check, out, let's check some of that out. The benefits of encouraging is that we don't use this term a lot, but uh, I picked it up in South Africa, but chin-up soldier. <laughs> it's, it's the soldiers of, of the army of the Lord, the church, have their chins up. What, you probably know what I mean by that, but in case you have no clue, let me just explain. Sometimes we kind of get chin down. We're looking at the stuff. It's, life is beating on us, and the people of God to be victorious, we've got to have our chins up. And I'm not talking about being hypey. I'm not talking about ignoring problems and pretending they're not there. I'm talking about finding an encouragement that exists no matter what the circumstances are that is even more real than the circumstances because of the heavenly realities. It's that thing of faith. And uh, encouragement is able to bolster that, that element of chin-up soldier in the church. Can I just read a scripture? You can look at... Deuteronomy chapter 31, if you can quickly turn there. Deuteronomy being the fifth book of the Old Testament. This moment that I'm about to read in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy is the moment that Moses is nearing his death and he is seeing that there is to be a successor for him because he is not going to be the one to enter into the promised land. 
If you don't know the story, Moses was the one who led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness right up after 40 years to the, to the promised land. And because God was not going to allow Moses be the one to lead them in, Moses needed to find a successor whose obvious, the obvious one was Joshua. And in verse 31, listen to this. Verse 7, then Moses called Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. Now, can I pause there? Everything that Jesus, I mean, that Moses just said to Joshua is all about reminding Joshua who we are. We are the, 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 the people of the Lord and reminding him also of what God has said, that the, that the Lord has sworn to give this land to, to those people. And you shall cause them to inherit it. Verse 8, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Reminding Joshua of who God is. You see that? And sometimes a gift of encouragement can see something, can see the, the child of God kind of shaking in their boots, or maybe see the child of God who's kind of overwhelmed with some things and just have something to speak courage, speak life into that person's life. What is the benefit of the gift of encouragement as per what I, we just read? Is that you, say me, yeah, me encouraging, my encouraging word may mean breakthrough for God's purposes in the earth. How do you know that your little word of encouragement that you think is just like a little obvious thing, like they probably already know, and I, I mean, you know, you sharing an encouraging word may be the thing that causes that chin to lift up and start believing again and walk out and be able to do that week what that person is called to do and to remember again who God is and remember again what he has said about me and what he has spoken and what God's doing and walk up saying, you know what, times might be tough, but actually I can take this land. I own this land because my God has given it to me. That's what encouragement can do. Now, benefits of, of this next thing would apply to encouraging or teaching. If I could ask you maybe just to go to Ephesians chapter 4 quickly. Ephesians chapter 4, that's one of those letters that comes in the about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, one of Paul's letters, Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is writing this letter and laying out wisdom from heaven as to how Jesus has designed the church to work. How it's designed to work and what is the ultimate intention of God for the church. Now, what I'm about to read to you, let me warn you right now, this is going to take some faith for you to hear these words. In fact, you don't even really hear these words too often in church. But G Paul is explaining that the church, through the vehicle of us encouraging one another, teaching one another, sharing verbal help with one another, it grows up into the image of Jesus. Did, I, did the faith just leave the room? Every time we, we teach on this, 
It's like people just can't, oh, we'll never be like Jesus. This is what we're doing. If we'll never be like Jesus, let's not come to church anymore. Let's just give up. This is what we are doing, is becoming the image of Jesus to the earth just as much as Jesus was the image of the Father. Now, we'll always have imperfections. I'm not saying that. Stop throwing your tomatoes at me. We'll always have like a sin nature until Jesus returns. But Jesus will demonstrate his victory in that the reality of the spirit he has put inside of us through the new birth is greater than the sin nature that was put in us because of the fall. We are being built into the image of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. How many of you would like to see that stop in the church? (laughs) Being tossed to and fro and all this stuff and people with crazy doctrines. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth. Can you say speaking? Speaking. Speaking. Speaking is the vehicle. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. That's what we're doing. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm speaking to you. And by the grace of God, me doing what I'm doing right now in obedience to him can cause something of spiritual revelation to happen inside of your heart where you see something of the kingdom through the activity of speaking. And when we get together and we fellowship and we get involved in one another's lives and we actually have this thing of koinonia, as the Greek word says, we we share in fellowship. Uh, Darren and Sine speaking at our midweek group and and Minda speaking and Peter speaking, it causes one another to be encouraged, to be taught, to to feel like they just heard the voice of God. All of these things which causes us to grow up and to become what we're called to be an image of Jesus to the earth. Speaking is what does this. So can I just remind us, uh, when God in Genesis chapter 1 decided that he was going to create the heavens and the earth, how did he do it? And God said, let there be light. God said, he spoke the worlds into being, right? And when God wanted to uh, take this sinful world once it had fallen and he wanted to have a nation unto himself, his own special covenant people, and he, and he decided that Abram would be the, the father of that nation. What did he do to Abram? He spoke to Abram, right? And when the, those people became a nation and they, they possessed their land and they needed laws to, and a way of life to govern themselves, what did God do? He gave them his word. He spoke the law and he spoke through the prophets. And then when Jesus manifested and said, you know what, I actually have a spiritual fulfillment to this whole thing. I'm going to call the church to, my, to myself to be my covenant people, a new covenant that's better than the first one. And he sent Jesus, and Jesus was described as the word of God. Are you seeing the importance of speaking? And when Jesus started to build his church and to to, to, to do his ministry, what did he do? He made disciples. How did he do it? He taught them. And then when Jesus handed the baton over to the church, you and me, what did he tell us to do? Go make disciples. How do we do that? Teaching them. 
to walk in everything I've commanded you. Are, do you think maybe speaking is important? You know, you hear this thing about preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, oftentimes attributed to Francis of Assisi, who did not say that. Can I say, that's awesome, and yes, it is necessary to use words. Can I say that of the spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, that of those nine gifts, five require speaking on some level. Of the Romans 12 gifts that we're studying in this gifted series, seven gifts, four imply speaking. And of the commission that Jesus gave to us as the church, the way we fulfill the commission by making disciples is to teach. Do you think speaking is important? Do you think speaking is important for you to do? Well, everybody else seems to be more mature. No, you've got something that we need. And you, and you need to get something that the others in the room also have. That is why we need to get together in these midweek times and also be texting each other. Thank you, Raynell, for initiating that. Texting each other and talking to each other and having relationship with one another. Speaking. Makes sense? Good. Glad it does. Your teaching, your encouragement causes others to grow. Now, how can we grow in teaching and encouraging? I just want to share some thoughts on that, and then we'll, we'll uh, end and, and have a time to respond to what the Lord is doing. Three ideas of how we can grow in teaching. And then two quick concepts on how we can grow in encouragement. Again, regardless of whether or not we have a grace gift for either of these. Teaching. Firstly, if you understand everything that we just looked at, I think, and as simple as it is, the first thing is that we lean in to being available to share words. What do I mean by that? I mean, when you're on your way to community group or when you're thinking about it, rather than just rocking up and being like, man, I hope that they can encourage me tonight. How about you say God's purpose for the church is speaking the truth in love and therefore I want, God, I'm asking you for a way for me to give encouragement, me to share a revelation, me perhaps to have a tongue or interpretation, me to have something to, to speak. Lean in. You want to, it's those who are looking for the opportunity who, get, who see the opportunity. And you may say, well, I hope I can get there. You'll never get there. If you're waiting to achieve some spiritual maturity place or whatever, you're never going to get there. Believe me, I'm still not there myself. And yet I find that God, I think, on the regular tends to use me because I'm looking for opportunities. Make sense? Number two, as far as growing and teaching, share only what you are actually obeying. Matthew 28, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to walk in what I have commanded you. Which would mean that if you're not walking in it, how in the world are you going to teach somebody else to walk in this truth? And how many of you know that we as Christians sometimes can see the speck in our brother's eye and we're not even aware that we're not walking in the very thing that we're trying to help them with. You don't have spiritual authority in any realm that you're not obeying Jesus in. It's where Jesus has revealed something to you and you have acted on that. Then you have authority to actually help somebody else. 
and that whole thing about speck, the speck in your brother's eye and the moat in your own eye, do you know that the purpose of that little parable Jesus spoke is not to get us to stop trying to help each other? Because he said, remove the moat in your own eye, and then you will be able to see how to help your brother. You don't stop trying to help your brother, you just stop being a hypocrite. On the flip side, that which you actually are walking in obedience to, you do have authority to help somebody. And that, that's not a prideful thing. If, if you are in conversation, relationship with somebody, and there's that thing where they say something or do something, and you can see you, you've seen a better way. You have, you have something to give to them. I want to encourage you, in love, not in arrogance, but in love, minister that, that truth. Help your brother, help your sister. Number three is speak the truth in love. Remember that Ephesians 4.15 text? Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him, which is the head, even Christ. Speak the truth in love, which, which in my mind would suggest two things. One is that we speak truth. So if you're wanting to teach somebody, it's, you're not just teaching somebody something nice, you know, your own thoughts. And sometimes we do that. Out of, out of human desire to help somebody, we just kind of come with our own thoughts. People don't need your thoughts. You don't need my thoughts. We need God's thoughts. And so speak the truth in love. Don't just speak in love. Speak truth in love. But also the second aspect would be speak the truth in love. How many of you know sometimes we can forget that part too? Christians railing against the world, railing against each other. And we can be a little harsh sometimes. So speak the truth in love, which is to say this. When I'm sharing something, be mindful of who I'm speaking to and more mindful of how can I get to the destination of helping this person, not how can I communicate eloquently or how can I divulge all of my thoughts that I would want to share be thinking about them not yourself be thinking about them in, in a sense even more than you're thinking about the truth you're speaking does that make sense if you're thinking only about the truth you might forget about what's actually going to help the person you need to be helping the person and, rele and release truth to them so be mindful of the person's background you might say things that are unnecessarily offensive because you're not even thinking about where they're from or what their upbringing is or whatever else. Be thinking about um, their spiritual maturity level. You know, if you're giving them a, a, a discourse on some deep, the book of Revelation or whatever, they may not be able to handle that today. Do you know what I'm saying? Now let's look at uh, encouragement. How can we grow in the areas of encouragement? Two simple thoughts. One is this. Encouragement, functioning in encouragement is less about a skill than it is a, a being, having a perspective. It's less about having a skill of encouraging. It's more about the perspective that you're living with. In other words, if you're wanting to rally people to who God is, who we are in him, and what God has said, it would help that we first be meditating in and living in those realities ourselves. 
for encouragement comes from a person who is convinced of who God is, what he has said, and who we are. So I encourage every person in this room to decide even today, I'm going to be a person who is strong and of good courage. Not because I'm strong, but because God has spoken that. To be strong. And I'm strong, not in my own strength. I'm strong because I know my God is strong. I know my God is able. I know God has everything that he calls me to do. He gives me the divine ability to do it. I have no reason to be discouraged if I'm really locking eyes with the reality of the one who is in this thing with me. And so I would encourage you to to take on that perspective. It is rooted in the belief that God is always good. Always good. You may say, well, have you read the Old Testament? Do you see what he's done to his people and thrown them into, into captivity and he's punished his people? He was good throughout all of that. And everything God has ever done, even punishing his own people, has been for the purpose of redemption. He is always good at every time. Another thing is that God always has a plan and a purpose. Me messing up did not make God be like, well, forget my plan and purpose. I mean, you've just taken it too far. I don't know what what plan and purpose. I don't even have it. He never stops having the plan and purpose. He has no plan B. He has a plan. And he is working in your life to fulfill it always. I feel like I'm encouraging you, but I'm trying to teach us how to encourage other people. (laughs) But this is good to be encouraged with these things. And, And thirdly is that God has a gift and calling for all people. That is a profound truth. I can see a person, and my natural instinct is to think this person is hopeless. And yet because of the truth of Scripture, I know there is a divine destiny on every person that I encounter. And I can have the joy of saying, God, how can I partner with you to help this person become who they are? So, so it's less about a skill and more about a perspective that you live in. And then secondly, I would say this, and this is true of every grace gift that ever exists on the planet. Know the word of God. Know his word. Devour his word. Why? Because you want to try to have this perspective that you're going to use to encourage other people. It comes from what God has said. Full stop. You want to prophesy well, know the word. You want to teach well, know the word. You want to encourage people, know the word. You want to be a good servant, know the word. You want to give, know the word. Get into the scripture. Not just to know it up here, to let it transform your life. You cling on in the fiery tests of life to what God has spoken. You come out on the other side of that absolutely convinced in what you clung to. It becomes part of who you are, and when you see somebody else who isn't believing it, you, you can't help. It comes out of you. you know, no, God is a healer. That's what Rodney would say. He's been healed. He, he won't even let you for a second say that by his stripes you weren't healed. You were healed. You, you following what I'm saying? I'm glad that one of you do. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, I actually asked if Rodney and Nita could, could just help uh, pray 